Well, good morning to all of you that are sitting in the room. Good morning or good afternoon to my wonderful wife who is listening to us right now and to anyone else that may be listening to us via podcast. We, we want to welcome you. We're glad that you're here at PBN. Thank you for being here in the, in the hall service to here to worship with us today. Um, it, it's been quite a week. Uh, I, I think for those of you that follow me on social media have seen how the Lord has been just preparing this message this whole week just with different things that we've seen, we've experienced, things that we've talked about in a Sunday school class that meets at my house, not on Sunday. Uh, that's an interesting story. Uh, but we have a community group, uh, one of our life groups meets at my house on, uh, on Tuesday nights, just kind of how all of this was in what we were talking about there too. It's, it's just so, so cool. So I hope this week today that you'll, you'll have an opportunity to just see how the Lord has used all this week. Maybe as you reflect back on the week too, there's been some things that, that God's going to show you and say, hey, I've allowed this to happen for you and for you to be prepared to hear this today. So, but with that, we're going to be in John chapter 13. So as you, as you turn to John chapter 13, I want to kind of give you a little update. Um, now, we, we just had the Lord's Supper this morning. And, you know, in John chapter 13, this is where um, the passage has led us. Uh, this, is, this is kind of the day that we're talking about. It is Passover. But let, let me kind of give you a little bit of insight into what this week looks like, what we call Holy Week. Now, I know it's not Easter, um, but I, I just want you to understand more clearly kind of what's happened. Uh, you know, on Sunday uh, of, this previous, of this previous week, here we're at Thursday in, in chapter 13, but a few days before, it was Sunday, this is when Jesus came into Jerusalem, um, and this, this is what we call Palm Sunday. Uh, Monday is when we see that Jesus went in and cleansed the temple. Uh, on Tuesday, we catch up with the text in John, it shows us that that Jesus was being, um, uh, it was kind of a day of conflict with him. It was a day to where he, he had conflict with the religious leaders. They were trying to entrap him to get him arrested. And, and really, we don't really see much that happened on Wednesday in the scriptures. Uh, so theologians think that that was probably a day of rest. Uh, there was a lot that happened. And, and don't forget, Jesus was, in fact, a human. Um, he also was God, but he was, in fact, 100% human. So that means that he, he would grow tired. He would need rest. So we think that Wednesday was his day of rest, but here we are on Thursday. Um, Thursday is the day to where he, he ha was meeting with his guys in the upper room. This is the day to where they would celebrate the Passover. Uh, and this is also where we, we pick up our story in John chapter 13. I hope that you've had plenty of time to get there. In this passage, I want to look at a, a few things. Uh, and really, I want to give you the end at the beginning so we can be ready to walk through it together. What I want you to see this morning is I want you to see holiness, uh, but to get to holiness, I want you to see humility. After humility, I want you to see holiness, and then after holiness, I want you to see happiness. And we'll talk as we go through this, but I think sometimes we try to put happiness in front of holiness, and we'll talk about that. Uh, so here, let me read this passage for us. I'm going to read the first five verses in John chapter 13. It says this, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come 
from God and was going back to God. He rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. What I want you to see in this passage, especially as we start off, I want you to see what Jesus knew. Because what, even in spite of what Jesus knew, it's even more amazing about what Jesus did. Now, one thing we, we see as we, we start this off is that Jesus knew that it says here that his hour had come. This is a phrase that's pretty common to John. John, throughout his, his, his letter, the, the Gospel of John, we see that Jesus was on what we can call a heavenly timetable. In other words, uh, John spoke very direct about the hour, what was coming. My hour has not yet come. Just so you can see this in chapter 2, verse 4 of John. He says, mine hour has not yet come. In chapter 7, verse 30, he says, his hour has not yet come. And again, he says the same thing in chapter 8, verse 20, his hour has not yet come. In chapter 12, verse 23 of John, it says, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And then in chapter 13, here, verse 1, Jesus says that Jesus knew that his hour was come. And then finally, in chapter 17, verse 1, it, it, Jesus himself says, Father, the hour has come. So there's this whole repeating of the phrase, the hour. His hour has not yet come. His time has not yet come. You see this at the very beginning in the first, God, in the first miracle, because uh, also in John we see the seven recorded miracles. The first miracle is the, the turning of the water into wine. And when Jesus' mother had approached him about this, Jesus said what? He says, mine hour has not yet come. There was a very direct appointed time that Jesus was here for a specific purpose. And that's what John has to say. Well, what is this hour? Well, you know that the hour was the time of his death. The moment on the cross is what we see in, in chapter 17, verse 1, where it says this, Father, the hour has come. So this is the point to where Jesus has died. All of humanity, all of time points to this very single fact in our life. Even our whole calendaring system is surrounded by this, the life of Jesus, but most importantly, the death of Jesus, because that is the most crucial thing that we have in our life. That is the hour, the moment that we come to realize what his death means. Now, it doesn't just stop with his death, because if it did, then there's another crazy person that the Romans crucified on a cross, big deal, he's still in the grave. But Jesus' hour points towards his death burial, resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. Because when he did all of that, he showed us that he conquered death once and for all, finally and fully. It's complete. That's the hour that we're talking about. Jesus knew that his hour had come. Second thing that Jesus knew, Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. Look what it says here. It says this, during supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. Jesus knowing this. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. Now, there's an interesting play on the word here when it says in this passage that, um, sorry, during supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Jesus, of Judas Iscariot, I'm sorry, that, that word to put is, is in the form of throwing. The devil had threw this idea into the heart of Judas. 
and Judas was about to betray Jesus. Jesus knew this, literally means to throw. And then finally, Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hand. And this is not, a, this is not the first time that we see this in the passage of John. In John chapter 3, verse 5, uh, I'm sorry, verse 35, which says this, The Father loves the Son, who has given all things into his hands. Jesus knew that everything that the Father had, he had given into his hand. Now, Jesus knew who he was, where he was going, where he had come from. And so Jesus knew that at this moment, he was in complete and total control. You know that Jesus never, ever once lost control during his death. He was in control the whole time. Humility. Because what Jesus knew greatly shows humility when we look at what Jesus did. Look at what he did. Knowing all this, it says this, that he rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist, then poured, poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around his waist. Now, for us, we cannot fully grasp the surprise that the disciples and shock that they must have had on their face at this moment. Jesus was their master. Their master was doing a menial task that, you know, not even a Jewish servant would do. Even a Jewish servant was never expected to wash the feet of someone else because it was such a, it was such a menial task that only a Gentile would do such a thing. But Jesus is the one that is, is doing this. He's the one that's washing his master's feet. So this, again, shows humility. It's a lesson that he's showing them in humility. Because if you take all of the Gospels and put them together, you know, about at this point, this is a lesson that Jesus teaches in humility, but also to abolish selfishness, selfishness and pride. Why do I say that? Because if you know the scriptures, you know that just right about this time, there's going to be a little a friendly debate, an argument, we could say, that starts to take place. The disciples start to question which of them is the greatest. Jesus has just given them an example of humility. He's just squashed their selfishness and the pride that they're going to have. So this was a big thing that made an impact in their lives. How do I know that? Because we see, it, we see this scene and other things of the like repeated in other places in Scripture. We know that Paul wrote about it in Philippians. In Philippians, um, in, in the letter that Paul wrote in chapter 2, Paul writes about the humility of Jesus. Now, it made such a lasting impression, Paul wasn't even there. So this is something that was passed on to Paul, but listen to some of the words that Paul picks up in his letter to the, to the churches of Philippi where he says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. In verse 4, jump over to verse 4, he says, let, let each of you Look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In verse 5, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's saying Jesus even had the same mind. He says that Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality a God, a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. 
it points back to this scene. This is, the, this is what the, the disciples, they, they clung to, and it impressed them so much that they, they passed it on. And we don't just have to look at something that Paul wrote. We can say Peter. Peter was one who was in the very room, and we're going to see more about Peter. But in, in, in Peter's letter in chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, listen to what he says. You hear the same language start to show up. About midway through the verse, it says, Peter says this, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And there's other places in Scripture, but that's just two places I wanted you to see that this very thing that Jesus is doing right about the, the whole, the Last Supper is taking place. Jesus is, is in this. He's serving. He's given them some final thoughts because theologians say that John chapter 13 through verse 17 is Jesus' farewell address. It's, it's his last time that he's with his disciples, his final words that he says. You know, my wife is gone, and I remember some of the final words that we said to one another. We always always, even to this day, my daughter's in the room, you can ask her this, if we leave the house, if we go out of town, when I get on a plane to go to Kenya, when she, when she hops in a vehicle to go out here, we always hug and kiss and say, I love you, because that could be the final thing that you ever say to one another. The final words leave a long-lasting impression. Jesus is giving his final time, and we see through Scripture that it's left an impression that's going to be talked about for years and years and years. Humility. So many times we confuse humility with inferiority and being timid or afraid. We say if someone is humble, if someone has humility, that means that they think of themselves as timid or inferior to everyone else. That's not the case. The Father has put everything in Jesus' hands. Everything that the Father has has been given to Jesus. But Jesus, in his, his humility, it says this, that Jesus picked up a towel and a basin and started to wash people's feet. Jesus was not inferior to any one person. What a beautiful name. There's no other name above his name. It's the name to where one day all knees will bow. All tongues will confess. That is the name of Jesus. Why? Because that is the embodiment of Jesus, the life that he lived. He was above all and in all and through all things were made. That is Jesus. Jesus is not inferior to any one person. So the fact that Jesus was humble does not make humility anything to be inferior to anyone. Uh, there's, a, there's an old proverb that says this, the fuller the ear is of rice and grain, the lower it bends. The fuller the ear is of rice and grain, it's so heavy that the lower it bends. Oh my gosh, that my life would be so full of Jesus that I would bend in humility daily in prayer to him. That's humility. That's what Jesus has done for you and for I. And the only way that humility grows is it grows out of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. As we get full of Jesus, then, our, then we bow in humility to the Father. Let's go on. Today, just like the disciples, 
We in churches across America, let's be real for a moment. This is that moment where we're real, and if you're listening from podcast, you may turn it off after this, but I'm going to shoot straight for a moment, okay? In churches across our country today, we need a dose of humility. Because we walk into churches today with this attitude, what can this church do for me? Listen to this tweet that I put up the other day. Because the church is full of a worldly spirit, and we see it. This is my tweet that I put up. It says, how have we let the culture of the world affect the church? It's became about me and entertainment, and much less about the worship of God. See, we, we walk into churches across our country daily, and we walk through the door with the attitude that's implied of, what can this church do for me? If this church serves me well and makes me happy, I will continue to come here until this church stops serving me and stops making me happy, and then I'll leave. All that we would grow in our relationship, but instead that our mind would be when we walk into churches across the country, that instead of saying, what could this church do for me, we can walk in and say, oh my gosh, how can I serve the Savior today and worship the Father here in this community? If you go to Kenya, it's a lot different than what we have here. Worship is way different than what we have here. But you can't help but stand in that room and they're singing in Swahili or whatever language they choose to sing in that day. I have no idea what the words are. I can read them on the small screen of the sheet that's in the corner, very simplistic of things that's happening, and I can read them in every few words. I can, things like that, I can, I can pick out, I know what they mean, but I have no idea what they, what they mean. I don't understand them, but as I look around the room, the joy is so contagious because everyone is smiling. They're singing. They're dancing. I know as Baptists, we don't dance, we shift our weight. But these folks don't care. They take the attitude of David. They dance in front of everyone right through the city because they don't care that the Southern Baptists may have a, a, a thing against that. When Jesus has shown us through the word that that is a way that we worship our creator. But so often we let culture start to have its way in here. We don't walk into churches across our country with a humble spirit and say, I'm here to worship my creator. The next thing we see is holiness. As, as this is going on, let me read this passage of scripture, verses 6 through 11. It says, he came to Simon, Peter, that's Jesus, came to Simon Peter, who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. But Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Keep that phrase in mind. We're going to talk about that more in a moment. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet then, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that is why he said, not all of you 
are clean. So basically, Peter is here. He's in this room, and he's watching Jesus wash all of his friends' feet, and he's thinking, I don't get this. Why is Jesus doing something that only a Gentile servant might would do, but a Jewish servant would never do this? He has no understanding of what's going on here. And for us to understand this more, let me unpack this. I don't go back to the original language very often, because I'll be honest, I'm not very good in original languages. But, but I know that these are some, here's some things that I want you to see as we go back to the original language for this. The word translated wash in John chapter 13, verses 5, 6, 8, 12, and 14, so most of it, that word literally means to wash just the body parts. But in verse 10, the word that they translate wash from means the, to bathe all over. Now, knowing that, I want, I want you to see some things, because Jesus is telling this, this is really important, because he's tried to teach his, his disciples what it means to have a holy walk with the Lord. All right, so here's how it goes. When we as sinner, Joe Sinner, when, when we get saved, we trust in the Lord, we are washed all over by the blood of Christ. And that, that's a final thing, that's a once and for all thing. We, we are bathed all over, our sins are washed away, they're forgiven. But as we walk through the world, we get stained by the world. Our feet, per se, get dirty as we walk on the path. That hasn't changed my status with God. That just means I need to do what? I need to wash my feet every once in a while. How do we wash our feet? Through the reading of the word, through prayer, through confessing sin, all of these things. That's the point that Jesus is trying to make to John, I mean, to, to Peter. It's important that we keep our feet clean. But look at what it says here. In verse 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. But Jesus answered him and said, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me whatsoever. In other words, if we are washed all over, we're washed by the blood, we're saved that means we are unified with, with God through Jesus. We have union with Christ. We are one with Christ. That's a final status. Once saved, always saved. You cannot lose your salvation. All right? You are one with Christ. That's union. Let's talk about communion for a moment. As you walk through the world, you pick up things, you hear things, you say things. You might accidentally let a little a cuss word slip out. You may, you may be around people that are negative, and negativity may slip into your life. As you walk through the world, as James says it, you start to become stained. He encourages us to be unstained or unspotted from the world. You walk outside, your feet are going to get dirty. As we walk through this world... Our status with Jesus is not going to change, but our communion with Jesus can start to become stained, and we need our feet washed. That's the whole thing that Jesus is trying to get Peter to understand, and for us, thousands of years later, for us to be able to fully understand and comprehend what it is that he's doing here, why he's saying this. This is not a new thing. Let's go back to the Old Testament. In, in, in Exodus, I think it's 42, uh, 29, close, it had a 2. Um, in it. But when we go back to Exodus 29, we see that when the priest was consecrated, he was called into the priestly service. He was washed all over once. That's it. He was consecrated fully. But as he did the work, daily work, he would get dirty before he could walk into the temple in the Holy of Holies, in the Holy before he could go inside, outside, he had to wash his hands and his feet. Ceremonially, 
only, but that's because he had become stained. So to go and to be in the presence of God, he had to wash his hands and his feet. It's the same language that we see there. Why? Because God is God. From the beginning of time to the end of time, his expectations will never change for you and for I. That's the purpose of what he's trying to tell Peter here. Peter didn't understand, though. No surprise. Because Peter got to a point where he was trying to tell the Lord what to do. He said, you shall never wash my feet. And I said we were going to come back to this because, again, if you take this back to the original language of the Greek, it literally can be translated like this. You shall by no means wash my feet. No, never. Peter was very direct about what he was saying. We, we lose that in some translation, but if we go all the way back to the original language, we see that it was a double negative. No, not, never. Peter had no idea what Jesus was telling him. So instead, he questioned the work of the Father. For us, what do we learn? Don't question God's work. It's perfect. When we don't understand, we look backwards because we see that backwards how God's work has been perfect and thorough in all of history. So looking forward, I trust that his work is going to continue to stay thorough and perfect throughout history in my life. Let's look at the last part. We see how we have seen humbleness. Humbleness leads to holiness. And holiness leads to happiness. Let me read this last part of scripture. Verses 12 through 17, it says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am so. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Here's the key passage right here. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them all. One of the few times you'll hear me refer back to the King James Version. The King James Version of the Scriptures, instead of saying blessed, it says happy. So if we read it from there, it says that you, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. So blessed and happy is, is, is synonymous with each other in this passage of Scripture. So here's the order. Humbleness, holiness, and happiness. Every couple that I, I take through mar- pre-marriage counseling, I tell them this, that your marriage is not intended to make you happy. Your marriage is intended to make you holy. Because if you look for happiness, if the world looks for happiness, that's what the world does. It's a shadow. It's always just going to be out of our reach, and you can never find it unless you go through holiness. Happiness is an illusion. Because happiness is something that is circumstantial. I'm happy right now because I'm in church. But when I go home, am I not going to be happy? I'm happy now because I'm sitting with my wife or my girl or my man, whatever the case is. What happens when they, I don't know, go to Arizona? Does that mean I'm not happy? Happiness is something that's circumstantial that changes. But holiness, a life living in the center of God's will leads to holiness. And that is something every time that will bring happiness. 
Father, my heart knew that fully. I would be a perfect and complete man. But I am on the journey with all of you. That we have to look for happiness. Happiness is a byproduct of living in the center of God's will. And Jesus explained this. And he asked the disciples, hey, do you guys understand this? And the surprise is that it's implied that they did not. Because Jesus then goes on and starts explaining this. And as he's explaining this, he talks about that he is their master. And as their master, Jesus had every right to command that they serve him. That was what they were willing to do. But as the master, what did the master do? The master served the servants. So that brings us to an interesting point. Hold on, this is deep. Catch in. If the master comes down to to be a servant, what does that do to the servant? It puts the servant on the same level as the master. Jesus did not come to push us down. He came to lift us up. Every person that leads, I say that leaderness begins at the feet of Jesus. If you're going to lead, you have to first submit. Because if you're not going to submit, you're not worth leading. Jesus was God in the flesh, and he still submitted to the Father. The name that is above all other names, that nothing is above him, still submitted. I think that's pretty cool that I can do that, because that's what he encourages us to do. He dignified service and sacrifice. Like I said, we've just came back from Kenya. One of the, one of the proverbs, one of the saying in Kenya, as we're in Kenya, you know, Kenya is made up of 42 different tribes. Uh, the best way for us to understand that is, is here in, in our land, before we came over, we had uh, the, 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 the Cherokee, the Shawnee, we, we had all of these different Native American tribes. Well, in Kenya, they have 42 different tribes. We meet a lot of chiefs. As you go, as we went to the Maasai land this time, you, you, you meet the chief because that's his land. You know, you, when you come in, you're a guest, so you meet the chief. Here, here's what the saying is in Kenya, a proverb that says this. You ready? The chief is servant of all. And that is truly what the chief feels. He feels that he is servant of all. How we need true leaders that will serve. But we also need servants that will lead. Listen to this quote. G.K. Chesterton says this, A really great man is one who makes others feel great. Jesus did did this so phenomenally. He made those that were underneath him feel great because he came to their level to lift them up and say that this is what we do. This is how Christian service looks. It's to serve other people. God, others, self. We're at the end. God, others first, then me. Why? Because if I'm a Christian, I'm trusting that God is going to take care of me. If God is taking care of me, why do I need to second guess his promise commands and say, well, God, would you please take care of me? He says, I've already promised you I would. Now go and make disciples. Serve me, serve others, and you're okay. A really great man is one who makes others feel great. Let me start to close with this. This is all good theory. James tells us it's not good enough just to know this. 
We have to practice this. And a lot of times, that's where the stop happens. We know, but we forget to practice what's going on. Here's the lessons in sequence one more time. Humbleness, holiness, and happiness. My final tweet. It has three things that I want to ask you this morning. As the band comes, here's the tweet. Submit to the Father. Keep your life clean. And serve others. This is God's formula for true spiritual joy. Submit to the Father. Keep your life clean and serve others. So as we begin to close, if this is the formula for true spiritual joy, I want to ask you right now, how are you doing? Do you have true spiritual joy? If you don't, have you submitted to the Father? Have you given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. If not, why don't you do that now? Why don't you come and talk with one of us here in just a moment? Say, I've never submitted to the Father. I've never given my life to the Lord. Come. Maybe that's why you don't have true, genuine spiritual joy. Maybe you say, hey, I've done that, but I'm still lacking true, genuine spiritual joy. How are you doing at keeping your life clean? As you're walking through the world, are your feet becoming more increasingly stained by the lifestyle that you're leading? And you know what it does? It feels like you're in cement because you have so much unchecked sin in your life. How do I clean that? By confessing. God will be faithful to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I just need someone to pray with. Just come. Come and let's pray. I want you to walk out of here with true spiritual joy. And if it's going to take you coming and, and grabbing me or Ryan by the hand and just saying, please pray for me. We are made for community. But maybe most of you are at this place. I've submitted to the Father. I'm doing a pretty decent job as bad as I can of keeping my life clean. I'm in the Word. I'm reading. I'm praying daily. But I truly still am just lacking true, genuine spiritual joy. How well are you doing in serving others? How are you doing? When's the last time you've done something for someone just because? And they didn't even need to know. Just because you wanted to serve the way that Jesus did. When's the last time that you've gone and volunteered at a soup kitchen? Volunteered to go at a clothing place uh, to to where they, 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 they bring clothing in for people? When's the last time we've gone to Habitat for Humanity? When's the last time you've got on a plane and gone on a mission trip just for the purpose of serving the whole world? And what scripture says, as we say, is the least of these. 
we have opportunities for you to do all three of those things right here in this community. So as they sing, as they lead us, won't you come? As God leads, Father, right now, as we stand, as we sing, Holy Spirit, we call on you to teach us. Give us direction for what it is that we need to do, what you're calling us to do, so that we can have true spiritual joy, but most importantly, that we can truly worship you. Offer our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Won't you stand? Won't you stand as God leads us?